A note to listeners, this episode contains descriptions of violence. Please take care while listening. It's June 1933, Fresno, California. Julio Gallo pulls his truck into the driveway of his father's rundown farm. There are patches of weeds in the hard-baked fields. The unpainted front porch is sagging so badly, the steps have collapsed into the yard. Julio is 23 years old, lean and strong. His skin is leathery from a childhood spent working the vineyards under his father's brutal rule. He's here to save his kid brother, Joe, from a similar fate. But there's someone he has to see first. Julio finds his father in the barn, Joe Sr., pacing beneath the hayloft. Dad, I'm here to get Joe Jr. I'm bringing him home with me. I'd bring Mama too, but I know she won't leave you. Joe Sr. walks up to Julio, standing inches from his face. He jabs his finger into his son's chest. Who do you think you are telling me what to do with my son? But Julio stands his ground. He's just a kid. He should be in school. Besides, I don't know why you dragged him and Mama to this dump when we have a perfectly nice ranch in Modesto. His father steps back and spits on the ground at Julio's feet. Julio turns in disgust, then heads for the house. Joe! Hey, Joe! Where are you? Joe Jr. runs down the stairs and launches himself into Julio's arms for a bear hug. He's pint-sized for 13. His hand-me-down overalls drag on the floor. Listen, kiddo, go get your things. I'm taking you back to Modesto. But, Julio, I want to stay here. Dad and Mama are getting along fine now. Julio shakes his head. His little brother is their father's favorite. The one Joe Sr. never backhands out of the blue. Joe Jr. wasn't even born yet when their father would pick up Julio or Ernest and hurl them across the parlor. Or beat their mother Susie with the handle of a hoe. Ernest and I don't think it's safe. Quick now, I'll help you pack. As Julio loads his brother's suitcase and baseball mitt into the back of the truck, their father runs up and grabs Julio's arm. How am I supposed to run this place by myself? I need him to help with the farm. Julio jerks his arm away. Isn't it enough you worked me and Ernest to the bone when we were kids? You've always been a bully. He's coming with me, and that's that. Joe, get in the truck. The time has passed when Julio's father could physically impose his will on his middle son. After a moment, he takes a step back. Julio gets behind the wheel of the truck and Joe Jr. slips in next to him. His mother hears the raised voices and the engine start. Susie runs toward them, drying her hands on her apron. She leans breathlessly into the window to whisper to Julio, I don't care what happens to me. All I want is for you boys to work together and get along. Those are the last words Julio will ever hear his mother say. Less than 24 hours later, both his parents will be dead in what the police deem a murder-suicide, though there are lingering questions about the crime scene. In the coming decades, the secret of the Gallo's mysterious and violent end will fray the bonds between the three Gallo brothers until one day they are severed for good.
Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S. And Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. In our new six-part series, Gallo, Godfathers of Wine, we tell the story of one of America's most secretive dynasties in a ruthlessly competitive industry. Today, the global wine market is worth more than $350 billion. The U.S. alone accounts for nearly 20% of that. And in this lucrative world, the family-owned E&J Gallo, named for brothers Ernest and Julio, is a giant. It produces one out of every four bottles of wine sold in the U.S. under 100 different labels. Many are award winners, yet Americans still associate Gallo with jugs of the syrupy swill college kids drink to get plastered. Ernest and Giulio Gallo's success began with their father and uncle, Italians who immigrated to the United States at the turn of the 20th century. By 1933, after more than a decade of prohibition, these immigrants were making good money selling grapes to bootleggers. But it's a rough business. Determined to succeed, they will repeatedly stoop to crime, violence, and betrayal. This is Episode 1, The Gangster and the Grape Grower. It's June 1906 in Jackson, California, near Sacramento a gold rush town with more than its share of gambling parlors and whorehouses. 21-year-old Mike Gallo lurks in the hallway of a hotel on Main Street. Mike is Ernest and Julio's uncle, Joe Sr.'s brother. He's got a jovial round face and powerful shoulders from years working in the vineyards of northern Italy. But here in America, Mike's on to bigger things. He presses his ear to a hotel room door. He hears his girlfriend, Sally, coaxing someone on the other side. Hey, honey, why don't you take those pants off? I don't have all night. The groan of mattress springs is Mike's cue. He bursts in the door. You're in big trouble now, buddy. The man glares at Mike from the bed. Who the hell are you? Get out of here. Mike charges the bed and they tumble to the floor. Mike pins the older man down and sits on his chest. Okay, now listen good. 
I know you got a wife somewhere. She won't like finding out you sleep around, right? So here's what we're going to do. You give me money, we leave, nobody tells nothing to nobody. Any funny business, you get this. Mike pulls his arm back and makes a fist as if he's going to punch the guy. The man flinches. Okay, okay. My wallet's in my pants, by the dresser. But their target is not as cowed as he seems. He's a local insurance salesman, and while he does have a wife, he doesn't like her very much. He was planning to skip town soon anyway. So while Mike rifles through his wallet, the salesman makes a break for the door. Police! Police! Help! I've been robbed! Mike grabs Sally by the hand. They sprint out of the hotel and disappear into an alley. That night, they catch a ride to Oakland. Despite the close call, Mike managed to nab the salesman's wallet. Inside is a cool grand. The $1,000 will seed Mike's first business venture. He brings in his older brother, Joe Sr. They plan to distribute bulk wine to saloons around San Francisco that cater to Italian immigrants, like themselves. That fall, they buy a mule and a cart and stencil Gallo in big red letters on the side. They rent a small office in Oakland and hang out their shingle, the Gallo Wine Company. It's a promising start, but they didn't come to America to be glorified delivery boys. They dream of bigger things. August 1909, Jackson, California. Joe Sr. wipes down the bar at the establishment he owns with his brother Mike. It's a boarding house and saloon. Joe is 27, a few years older than Mike, and much less charming. But right now, he's making an effort. The saloon is not doing well, and Joe wants out. He's got a family to support. His wife, Susie, their son, Ernest, and another child on the way. If it's a boy, they plan to name him Julio. Joe's accepted a job offer from his in-laws to help manage their vineyard near Fresno. So he's desperate to find a buyer for this failing enterprise. Joe pours a shot for the guests sitting at the bar, a young Italian man fresh off the boat from the old country. This one's on me, Signore Ginolio. Ginolio smiles. Grazie. Joe already knows Ginolio has a wife and a suitcase full of cash. Susie spotted it that morning when she was cleaning their room. Joe leans on the counter. So, last night our wives were talking. Your wife said you were looking for a business opportunity. Yes, perhaps. What about buying this place? I'm taking over my father-in-law's vineyards. It's a big job. Though I hate to let the saloon go when business is so good. Ginolio glances around the empty bar. Business doesn't look too good. Joe grins and gives Ginolio a hearty clap on the shoulder. Just come back tonight, and you'll see. Joe Sr. spends the rest of the day offering a free drink to anyone in town if they'll come to the saloon that night. At 9 p.m., the Ginolios walk into a packed bar. Joe shoves customers out of the way and ushers them to a table he's reserved in a corner. Then, he focuses on Mrs. Ginolio. I wish I could keep the saloon, but I have to help out my in-laws. I love them like my own parents. Family should always come first, don't you think, Signora? Mrs. Ginolio nods. She desperately misses her own parents in Italy. Her eyes fill with tears. She grasps her husband's arm. I think this is just the opportunity we dreamed of. I have a good feeling about this place. 
Joe plies her skeptical husband with booze all night. Finally, near dawn, Genolio scrawls his name on the deed. It costs him $2,000, their entire savings. One week later, the rest of Genolio's story is splashed across the front page of the paper. The headline reads, Despondent, he tries razor root. The article lays out the sad tale. When Genolio realizes he's been had, he fights with his wife. He drinks all night and then tries to slash his own throat. The razor cuts his windpipe, but Genolio survives. Now he can only speak in a whisper, and he's stuck with a failing bar and hotel. As for the gallows, they're long gone. But that won't be the last or the worst of Mike and Joe's cunning schemes. December 1912. Mike Gallo stands in front of the Palace Hotel in Modesto, California. He's dressed like a priest in a long black cassock and white collar. A barrel-chested man carrying a satchel emerges from the hotel. Mike places his palms together and bows his head. Buongiorno, Signor Folda. You're right on time. Folda raises his free arm in a warm greeting to the priest. Yes, Father De Luca, I'm, I'm all set. I've got the money right here. Folda raises the satchel. It contains $900, his stake in a real estate deal Father De Luca claims is a sure thing. Folda feels good about this transaction. After all, his business partner is a fellow countryman and a priest to boot. Mike reaches out both hands. My son, put the bag down for a moment and join hands with me. Let us pray to God for prosperity in our new enterprise. Folda sets the satchel down and clasps Mike's hands. Mike begins to pray. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us your sheep together. Folda obediently bows his head and closes his eyes. He can't see the man strolling toward them the one carrying a brown leather satchel identical to Folda's. As he approaches, Mike opens one eye and winks. Without breaking stride, the man puts down the empty bag next to Folda and picks up the one full of cash. Mike's accomplice reaches the corner. The swindle couldn't be easier. But right then, a swarm of policemen stream out of the side streets. Grab that guy with the bag! He's a thief! The accomplice sprints down an alley before police tackle him to the ground. Folda opens his eyes wide and clutches Mike's hands. Father, what's going on? There's a robbery? Mike disentangles himself from Folda and quickly backs away, holding a cautionary finger in front of his lips. Shh, shh. We don't want to interfere with the police while they're doing their important work. Then he turns and tries to make a run for it. But the police nab him, too. They book Mike and his crew for grand larceny. Turns out they've been watching his gang run cons for months. A judge finds Mike guilty of leading an Italian crime ring that swindled victims out of more than $300,000. He sentences him to five years in San Quentin. Without Mike, Joe Sr. struggles to keep Gallo Wine Company afloat. He lacks his younger brother's business savvy and flair, and he balks at taking orders from his in-laws at the winery. He hits the bottle and smacks Susie around. His in-laws kick him out of the house, and Susie files for divorce. Alone and seething, Joe doesn't know how he'll survive. 
With the temperance movement taking hold, moralists are railing against the corrupting influence of drink and authorities are cracking down on distributors. Selling wine is a losing proposition. But prohibition will turn out to be just another opportunity for Joe Gallo to exploit. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. April 1921, Antioch, California. 12-year-old Ernest Gallo is fast asleep in his attic bedroom. Water drips from leaks in the tar paper roof. Suddenly, his father, Joe Sr., bursts in the door. Ernest, get up, now! We've got to get into the fields and protect the vines from frost. Ernest bolts upright in bed, heart pounding. His father's mood has always been unpredictable, but lately, the pressure on his dad is even more intense. After a few rocky years, his parents are back together, and with Prohibition looming, they've bought a vineyard. Joe Sr. is betting that people will want grapes to make their own bootleg wine. But he has no experience as a farmer, and he's bought bad land. The soil's too wet for grapes. Frustrated, Joe Sr. is even harder on Ernest and his younger brother, Julio. He whipped Julio raw when their plow broke. Now... Ernest doesn't want to be next in line to feel Joe's belt. He jumps out of bed and pulls on some clothes. Outside, his father unscrews a can of gasoline and shoves it at Ernest. Quick, pour this over the tires I laid out in the vineyard. The fires will keep the vines warm. We have to protect the harvest. Joe's words make puffy white clouds in the freezing air. Ernest does as he's told, struggling to keep the gasoline from sloshing onto the precious grapevines. His father follows close behind and drops a lit match on each fire. Thick black smoke rises from the burning rubber. It blankets the vineyard. Ernest can't breathe or see and trips over a tire. On his hands and knees, he digs his fingers into the mud and silently curses his father. His father jerks him upright by the back of his shirt. He spins Ernest around and slaps him hard. Keep going or we'll lose the farm! Ernest is just a child, but even he knows his father has no idea what he's doing. The fire could easily spread and take out their vines. Everything Joe Sr. does 
is wrong. They've planted the wrong grapes in the wrong soil at the wrong time. Ernest picks up the gasoline can, but he knows it's hopeless. The next day, the whole family gathers outside. Joe, Ernest, Julio, and Susie, with two-year-old Joe Jr. in her arms. They stare at the sea of black, charred vines. They'll never bear fruit again. It's 1922 in Livermore, California, just east of Oakland. Joe Sr. gets behind the wheel of his brother's Model T Roadster. The trunk is filled with gallons of illegal grappa, the sweet Italian brandy awaiting delivery. Ernest, hurry up and get your ass in the car. We're late for our first customer. Joe Sr. has sold the cursed Antioch farm and is back in business with his brother Mike, fresh out of San Quentin. Prohibition is in full swing and Mike is scaling up an extensive bootlegging operation. Now, Joe oversees one of the vineyards and runs the brandy still, or rather, the 12-year-old Julio does, at least on days like this when Joe Sr. and Ernest are out on delivery. Ernest emerges from the barn, shaking his head. He gets in the car. Dad, what about Julio? I usually help with the still. His father shrugs. Quit moaning, you'll be fine. In the barn, Julio stands on tiptoe holding a large saucepan over a copper contraption. His hand shakes as he dumps barley mash into a funnel sticking out of the top of a metal tank. Coils of rubber tubing feed into a gallon canister. Liquid drips from the end of the tube. The smell of sweet fruit with an acrid tinge of alcohol hangs in the air. After a while, Julio picks up a new canister, so he'll be ready to switch it out when the first one's full. Julio hears a car approaching. It's too early for his father to be home. This can mean only one thing. As trained, he drops the canister, chains the barn doors, and sprints out the back of the barn to the farmhouse porch. His mother is there with Joe Jr. in her arms. They watch as men in dark suits leap out of the cars holding axes. Two of the men smash the barn doors to splinters, and the rest swarm in. Moments later, They drag the still out into the yard, chopping the pieces. The tallest of the suits strides onto the porch and flashes his badge at Susie. Ma'am, I'm a federal marshal and I need to know who owns the barn with the illegal still. Susie shakes her head and shrugs. Joe has coached her in case they get raided. It's rented. I don't know the owner. The officer keeps interrogating her, but all Susie says is that her husband's away and she knows nothing about a still. Finally, he gives up and orders his men to search the place. But they don't leave. When Joe Sr. and Ernest arrive home hours later, the feds are lying in wait. They lead Joe away in handcuffs. 13-year-old Ernest is now the head of the family. Their livelihood is in shards on the lawn, and throughout California wine country, the Gallo brothers are notorious for cons and crime. On the next episode, Ernest and Julio go up against the mob in Chicago and turn against their increasingly erratic, violent father. Until a fateful day in the vineyards changes the course of all three brothers' lives forever. From Wondering, this is episode one of Gallo, Godfathers of Wine for Business Wars. 
If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review and be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. And to listen to episodes one week early, join Wondery Plus. You'll also find some links and offers from our sponsors in the episode notes. Supporting them helps us keep offering our shows for free. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey and tell us which business stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they are based on historical research. I'm your host, David Brown. Barbara Bogay wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondering. Looking for the hottest takes and the spiciest celebrity gossip? Look no further. Welcome to Rich and Daily, the all-new podcast from Wondery that's going to bring you up to speed on all of Hollywood's most current secrets and scandals. Need to know what Harry and Meghan are up to? What's the latest in Britney's conservatorship hearing? We've got you covered. I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams, and along with my bestie and fellow celeb news fanatic, Brooke Sifrin, we're bringing you the latest entertainment gossip every Monday through Friday. Is that rumor you heard about Rihanna true? If it is, you better believe we'll have something to say about it. So if you want to be in the know about who's been seen with whom and who's in and who's out, join us on Rich and Daily. Because we don't just listen to the rumor mill. We give you the celebrity facts as they happen. Listen to Rich and Daily on Amazon Music. Or you can listen to episodes ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. With Rich and Daily, feel the gossip. Wondery, feel the story.